Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me is UW Leah and Kayla Olin. Washington goes out, takes care of business against Cal. There is no funny business that usually goes along with paying, playing the Golden Bears. Old-fashioned beatdown, 59-32. This game wasn't close. By the time Michael Penix took his first snap, they were already up two scores. This seemed like a really important statement when it opens up Pac-12 play. You kind of cast out some demons from the old regime with even coming out with the the lightning poster, I guess, the Metallica poster. Just absolute beatdown. Kayla, overall thoughts on the game? I think that is the most complete game that Washington has played all season long on, not even just offense and defense. You got special teams now rocking and rolling. I think that was the best punt we've seen all season because not going to lie. I was like, okay, cool. We have a good punt when it doesn't matter. That's fine. I'll take it. But just in general, I thought that the players played lights out and missing a key component to that offense with Jalen McMillan. I'm not saying that they were fine without him because who knows, but it still looked to be a solid offense that teams very much should fear I do have a couple critiques I'm sure we'll talk about them but overall very happy with the final Pac-12 opener in Husky Stadium and Leah down the line of course Jalen McMillan is going to be a main contributor somebody that needs to be there if they're going to make the run that they want to this Saturday night it didn't matter the two receivers were just absolutely phenomenal in Jalen Polk and Roma Dunze 7.30 kick, brand new LED lights. Brock Weisweiler said on the broadcast how great it was to have Husky Stadium loud again. Give us a snapshot of what the atmosphere was like there. It felt electric and like there was lightning going on on the field, frankly. The opening possession for Cal ending in a pick six from, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, Edifuan Elifoscio absolutely sent the crowd into utter pandemonium it was delicious and then i can't think of the last time if this has ever occurred i'm sure it has at some point where we have had a pick six and a punt return for a touchdown in the same game much less the first essentially two possessions of the game it was really fun to watch um the atmosphere was really fun we had the students at about 90 percent capacity because they're back in school so Uh, Shout out to everybody who is crapping on our student section. It's hard to have students when a lot of them come from out of town and we don't have the dorms or the Greek system uh, buildings available to them. So they're back. They were there with gusto. They made a lot of noise and I'm sure our students really appreciated all of that. So overall, the atmosphere was excellent. Kayla, the purple lights, what do you got? Uh, Kind of how we talked about a little bit earlier before we started recording is I love them. I love that we're getting with the times. We're looking like a big 10 school. I think that it could have been a little bit more of a lead up in terms of not having them starting to flash when you're having the hype video before they even show the players coming down the tunnel. I would have liked for them to save that until the actual smoke starts or you see the players. Um, And then on touchdowns, maybe a little bit darker with more flashing of like purple and white. I feel like we didn't see enough purple, especially I mean, let's talk about Oregon for a second. When Oregon comes to town, if it is a night game and if there is those LEDs, I just want to see nothing but purple. Yeah, 100%. It was really fun. Um, Jason's sons who are with us were so tickled by the new light show. 
every time something fun happened, you could just see their their eyes light up with joy. It was really fun to watch. And it just adds a little bit extra oomph, a little bit more excitement to when something fun happens on the field. And thankfully for us, we had a lot of fun things happen on the field, lots to celebrate, especially in the first half. Yeah, and getting into Trevor, it. what did you think that the lights looked on TV though? Because I haven't watched the game back like TV wise. Yeah. So I was telling Leah before you hopped on, like the first time I remember seeing it, like cognitively understanding that they were doing something with the lights was at the UCLA game last year. And it just looked like they were turning the lights on and off on TV. And so when I went to the Oregon State game last year when the lights went out. I thought that's what Washington was doing, but then of course they didn't come back on. It's still on TV. That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like they turn the lights off, turn the lights back on, turn the lights off, turn the lights back on. Looks really cool because like the the players kind of stand out a little bit more in like the 4K. So I do appreciate that. So you can tell something's going on there. You couldn't really necessarily tell it was purple, but you know, I, I thought it was really cool. Before Michael Penix steps on the field to take a single snap, Washington's up 14-0. Edifon Ulafusio, 45-yard touchdown uh, on the pick six. The defensive line to start the game, uh, you know, the last two weeks, it's been two running plays to try to set the tone, and both times Ulamu Ale and Tuli Latuno Gasanoa are right there. And ZTF and Braylon Trice are right into the quarterback's face. First, you know, against Michigan State, it led to what should have been a a fumble. This time it led to a pick six. That had to be just super fun to be there for. It was great to see on TV. Then, of course, you come back with the the punt return touchdown from Roma Dunze. And, man, all the momentum felt like it was on Washington's side. Leah? Really awesome to see because um, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, Cal is a game that always seems to give Washington trouble, at least for the past, uh, I don't know, a couple decades. And this staff, what makes them so amazingly different than any previous staff is that we play to our strengths and we play to the capability that we know we can have, which means that when we play a team like California, as much as we respect them, they don't belong in the same field as us. And it showed early and it showed often. And that is a credit to how well these staff are preparing these kids to play this game. They were ready. They knew their assignments. That's exactly why Eddie was where he was. That's exactly why Rome read what he was receiving when he got his punt return touchdown. And this team, this staff does not give me any sort of qualms of like, oh, in the past, this is what we kind of expected, expect you know, the nerves to come out for Arizona, expect us to play our worst game against Oregon. We really don't have any of that right now. I feel like the sky's the limit for this team as long as they can focus on what they can control and hashtag us versus us. I think they'll be okay. But as for this game, this was one of their best performances. I was telling T, we were taking a walk today and we were talking just about coaches and how they have not like a handle on their team. I don't think that's the right wording, but that, you know, when we played Cal at home last time, it was, oh, it's a game of the better culture. It's the game of this. It's the game of that. There was none of that this time around. And I'm not saying that the players don't care that the coaches aren't trying to hype their team up by getting them some, by giving them something to fight for. It's just, let's just focus on the game and take care of business. And, you know, we're kind of talking about, Arizona next week and how you know dogs go to die in the desert 
but this team, Kalen doesn't seem to put them in a position where they're thinking of those things and where they're overlooking Arizona because they could have done that against Tulsa or even Cal not having kind of the hype behind them that they had the last time Washington hosted them. But it's more of just like keeping outside voices away from the program as much as possible. And that kind of piggybacks off of what you're saying, Leah. And I think that the coaches are doing a great job at just tunnel vision. This game is what's up and we'll celebrate it for 24 hours, but then we're on to the next. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what kind of game plan we have for the desert, which to Kayla's point is a place that even though we have a history of winning in Tucson, generally speaking, the Huskies play their worst game in the state of Arizona. So let's see if we can reverse, reverse that and amend for what we did in our last, the last time the Huskies lost a football game was in the state of Arizona. You're absolutely right. And really that was the last time that Washington and, and, you know, we talked about it before the defense was very injured going into that game, but also that there was a lack of execution in some very important spots. And that's really the last time you've seen this team. I don't know if ill-prepared is the right word, but definitely since that game, it's looking just- like a team with a first year head coach. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to say it because the culture is not necessarily put in there. And with your frontline guys getting injured, the roster was depleted. The guys weren't ready. And now, you know, we've seen some pretty big injuries and the drop off has been very minimal. And that's because these coaches have had over a calendar year, close to a year and a half now of being with these guys, getting their system in. And really the belief that each team that they play, you know, it's really, what do they say? Respect all fear none, but every single game is a step towards their main goal. And their main goal is to continue to get better focused inward instead of outward. And that's just winning in athletics in general. I also like, I don't think that you're saying that this program is untouchable because let's be honest, the Mm -hmm. score does not reflect how this team played I think we definitely saw that if a couple of other key players go down the defense can be in trouble yeah if our thirds and fourths are out there we're in trouble yeah for sure and I mean you even just see that Cal has 502 yards of offense I don't think that's acceptable just even for your second and third stringers and I think that the score also doesn't like that if if people are looking just on those stats and they're voting that's scary right Totally agree. And so I was kind of joking with my dad. I was like, I feel annoyed of Michael Penix's numbers or offensive numbers, but the score doesn't reflect that. And I think that's, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, that was the issue is he wasn't going to be able to throw for 400 yards because by the time he got out there, it was already 14. Yeah, exactly. It was already 14 (laughs) to nothing. And then their first touchdown was on a run, which is all fantastic. And we'll get into that. But yeah, you're right. That's one of the things that I think me and you, Kayla, have disagreed on most is I think back to the Stanford game last year and the Michigan State game. And the reality is, is some of that come back, came back to bite them in that Arizona State game where some of those guys that are playing in mop up duty were all of a sudden forced into major college football and they weren't ready. I hope that I'm right this year, <laughs> I guess is all I can say is. I, I, I hope that we don't get down to our third and fourth string guys, because that's really hard for any program to, 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 to get through. 
and with where Washington is going so far, the injuries haven't really hampered this team many ways. Cam, Fab- I know you're knocking on wood right now. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, Cameron Fibiklanan and uh, being gone for one game is was okay. Vince Nunley looks good. Uh, he played a lot yesterday, mm-hmm. but I would not like to see a lot of those guys in primetime games. What yeah. I do like is like Cam Fab being one of those guys a few years ago chasing a lot of plays and now he he's making like, the hit of the game he's the hammer he he, he, is. he, makes, he makes a windmill tackle yeah. all of a sudden like we're hello cam fab mm-hmm. where were you last year but dang i'm really happy that you've had two interceptions and a windmill tackle it's yes a, sir it's development right i mean it's stand great. up sir let's go that's really sucks because they scored two more touchdowns in absolute garbage time and you just hope that the guys that were in bed on the East coast, at least read the recap. Go ahead, Leah. I was just going to say you are completely right. And also something that we've talked about previously in pre-pod show is that those were largely to your point in garbage time, but they were getting our three and four string guys reps, which is what you want. So in the case that emergency and catastrophe happens, as I knock on wood, those guys are not coming in completely green. They've had some real world experience against a team that, is not going to go any place this year, but is not the worst team in the conference. I actually gained. And they were playing their health. ones. Though. That's exactly right. So there's no shame in getting those guys in there. And I actually really respect Coach DeBoer and his staff for not running up the score against California and instead deciding to sit Mike, put in Dylan Morris, put in a lot of our three and four guys and get them some reps, even if it meant that it on paper does not look like we really laid the hammer down against California, which we all know that we did. Okay, so going back to the time where it matters, uh, the first touch, the <laughs> first two touchdowns. I guess you can count the last touchdown late in the third quarter. I guess, but we're up big at that point. But the first two, uh, the thing that I really want to highlight: Jeremiah Hunter's a good receiver, uh, and he did a really good job of positioning himself. Thaddeus Dixon was very close. He he was the one that gave up both touchdowns. Both of those. He was in pretty good position. He got a hand on Jeremiah Hunter's uh, touchdown where he tried to wrench it out from behind. Hunter did a good job of blocking mm-hmm. him out on that. And the one to Taj Davis, it looked like he was in good position and he mistimed his jump. And I think that probably is an interception if that happens. That being said, he gave up two touchdowns and then he had a pick six comeback because of a a, a face mask call. So Things definitely to fix. I still really like that player. For sure. I really feel like continually one of the things that we need to fix and I'm sure is on the board for the coaching staff is we've just got to be better with penalties. We got to be better at playing clean football because sooner or later, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't happen at all, but you're going to start actually really putting yourself in position to lose football games with these kinds of penalties. And you really have to clean that up because so much of it is, really us versus us can we be better at what we can control absolutely yes and we need to do better at that one of those was getting off the field on third and four there early in the first half which led to a touchdown you know and we talk about it before but is that the game winning drive or is that the decision maker against Oregon is that a decision maker against Utah or USC it's those little things where you're getting off the field after having to play an entire 
chunk of the game and now you're right back on there and you do look tired because as well as you are and you should be but then you know you can look at what happened with Oregon State and Wazoo I don't know if you two kind of really watched that but Oregon State has them stopped after third and goal what is the Oregon State defensive player do? throws a punch you know what that does it's now first and goal for Wazoo they punch it in Oregon State loses by two like or four, you know, or four, whatever it was, there you go. That's the game. But either way, it's those, like you're saying, Leah, those penalties, like you can have penalties, but ones that are in a very costly time, those are the ones that hurt more than even just the quantity, right? It's when, where, and then what happens after. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that offsides call on ZTF did lead to three chunk plays by Cal. It was really, really weird where they looked really good. And then all of a sudden the secondary got exposed for a series. Momentum is a son of a gun. Thank you for that. uh, That segue, by the way, Kayla, when did you think the game was over? After Romo Dunze's pun return. 100% could not agree more because Cal depends on their opponent messing up. They depend on their defense to overpower you. They depend on your defense being on the field and their defense being very well rested. Well, it turns out their defense was well rested, but for a very bad reason. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like Justin Wilcox is like, yeah, defense. Like, yeah, that wins us games. It's like, okay, cool. Is my defense going to see the field at all this first quarter? Like, yes, no, maybe so. If you would have told Justin Wilcox that, his defense was not going to see the field until the eight minute mark of the first quarter. He probably would have been like, I think we're in good shape. Not so uh, to quote Lee Corso. Oh, not so fast. Oh, my friend. Not so fast. My friend. <laughs> I love that. Fantastic. But I, tr- I truly not even just like momentum. Like you could see the life leave cow players. Like you saw people then sitting on the bench after Rome ran it back, not even just running it back 30 yards. I mean, like Eddie, oh, 45, like great job, but 83 yards. They're like, and I mean, there probably should have been a block in the back that was called, you know, like not take anything away from him. But after that, when you're just like, cool, so we can't do it on offense. And there you see the big screen and they show on the jumbo screen, Washington 14, Cal nothing, Washington zero total yards. It's the zero yards. So I didn't even think about that. You looked at the sidelines of Cal after the punt return. Yeah. They looked lifeless. They looked dejected. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So mine is different because I wasn't there and I didn't see that. Uh, Mine was actually after the first touchdown on the offensive drive by Dylan Johnson. And that's because Cal did go down and score a touchdown. And then we answered to go up two scores plus a PAT. I also feel like them scoring the touchdown, but also doinking the PAT signaled them in so many ways that this was not their night. And then missing another one. Right. It just was not their night at all. Speaking of that, Kayla, Grady Gross comes in. (laughs) How are we feeling? I closed my eyes. I didn't look. (laughs) I truly did not look. Asked my dad. My face was in his arm. I was like, I'm not watching. I can't do it. I can't do it. How many does he have to make for you to trust him? Will you ever watch a field goal? If he makes something 40 or longer, yes. 
Okay. That's fair. Then I will. Like, I you know, like- watching like watching college football, you see a kid who just drills a 61, and I'm like, hello? Yeah. Like, it's got to be, like, great to not lose a couple years off your life watching your kicker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No I feel like we're going to have a situation against Oregon, I fear, where we're going to put our freshman kicker on the line with a lot to lose and uh we're gonna we're gonna test kayla's relationship with our kickers again we're gonna if see you if don't hear from me after that you know why this is down the line a little bit but i don't i think the relationship with grady gross and kayla olin is going to be that of a couple that just turns <laughs> their back and looks at their phone because i don't know if he's going to be in many many positions to kick field goals especially against oregon this year i i think that i i, I would say that i I hope that this next week that we win handily, but also that Grady Gross gets the chance to kick two to three field goals of 25 yards or longer. That's my hope. Couple things. <laughs> One, all kickers aside, why not let this offense just go for it on fourth hey. down? Like this offense is electric. But second thing, cool. They did that. Ryan Grubb, can you not have our quarterback run it on fourth and two? Dude. Like, much appreciated. Hot Jake. Like, Hot Jake. Man, you're reading the Google Doc. Great job, Kayla. Oh, I should probably pull that up, shouldn't I? <laughs> no, you're crushing it right now. That's another great segue. What a stupid call. Okay. I just – Ryan Grubb is one of the smartest human beings in the world. And when you're up big and your quarterback is Michael Penix, you don't run the option. Michael MVP Penix yeah Heisman he's gonna be the Heisman he's the betting favorite he's the betting favorite that can't be I cannot do that I'm gonna be I'm gonna put on my Jake Grant hat for now uh are we not entertained if ever if we (laughs) expected of us you know we it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fun it wouldn't be an interesting podcast if we're not criticizing something and and better be Ryan Grubb tonight but no, not the greatest call, but it was, if you're going to make a mistake like that and everything's okay with Mike, I'm okay with it happening against Cal. You know what happens if Ryan Grubb said, hey, Tom Brady, you're going to run it on fourth and two. You got it. <laughs> Tom Brady is like, sir. Not when we're up. The, I mean, what were they up at that point? Let's see. I do enjoy a Dallas Cowboys fan comparing Michael Penix Jr. to Tom Brady. I, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, right. I mean, yikes, boys. That's what we need is literally the Cowboys went and got a soccer player as their kicker and he makes everything. It's right down the middle. Hello, Kaylin. Call up someone who didn't get it. 52 to 12 when they ran that stupid option play. And that's what I'm saying is is it's not necessary in that situation. Mm. Like, do you know what would have happened? We're talking about like, you know, UW's president and just being smart. If Michael Penix had something happen to him, I would hope she's firing him tomorrow. Not actually, but you know what I mean? <laughs> there like needs, there if something happened in that, Husky no, Husky fans would have called for his I job. was I didn't enjoy that play at all. Nope. Back to a positive because this is uh again a drubbing that we're talking about here. Is Jabbar Muhammad the best transfer defensive player that Washington has gotten since the transfer portal has been a norm? What do you think, Kayla? Big fan of Bookie. I thought Bookie was more consistent than Jabbar so far. I think he's finally, you know, he finally got his interception. Cam Fab kind of took one from him mm-hmm. earlier this season. But 
I think that we saw Jabbar get beat a little bit in a couple of the previous games, not so much against Cal, which is fantastic that he's growing and being better and fixing those issues. But I think in on a consistent basis in the first four games, Bookie was definitely, I think, better. Sorry, Jabbar, if you're listening, which you're probably not because you're focused on Arizona. <laughs> I don't really have a good sense of, of who we've gotten as transfers, but I think Jabbar Muhammad has been playing for the most part pretty well i also would like to shout out jake grant for being a nostradamus and predict he actually did predict two interceptions but he only, he only had one yeah, and, and one, one of them was a pick six exactly yeah so did he, he say who though yeah he did he Jamar said Jabbar muhammad gets a pick six and then another interception so um jake is turning out to be somewhat of a prognosticator it turns out which hot jakes and jake stradamus <laughs> hashtag that <laughs> you know what bookie is a pretty good one he was he was really solid for this team jabbar muhammad's been a shutdown guy i maybe it's recency bias but i everything that jabbar muhammad's doing he's taking away a part of the field and and that's what i really love about him so i heard it i believe it was on another podcast or on the radio and they were talking about how really really good teams make average teams look really bad mm. Is that the case here? Is Cal an average team or are they bad? Cal is what I would regard as a typical third place Mountain West school, which thankfully for them, they don't have to go to the Mountain West, but they'll so probably- a fourth place ACC school? Probably, actually, that's probably generous, but yes, um, they're going to go to the ACC and probably perform pretty well because that's kind of the caliber of product that uh, ACC football is producing these times. I agree. But Cal is- not as bad as I feel like we made them look. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Trevor, we're making a lot of teams that are actually pretty good. Boise State's not terrible. Michigan State probably is terrible. But Cal is not bad. As we pointed out in our last podcast, Cal very nearly beat Auburn, and they really trashed the other two games besides Washington. So they're they're not great. They're just unfortunate because they're playing in a really, really deep and amazing league this year. So they're probably going to finish eighth place, is my guess. I think that's why, Leah, you break bring up a great point because when you know Trevor asked the question, is are they average or you know, I think that they are lower because if you look at the Pac-12, like when I'm thinking, I'm not like thinking of like non-conference games. I'm thinking of in a conference and. You know, you have seven, eight, nine in the AP in the AP polls as all Pac-12 teams, right? And then you have, you know, some other good teams that dropped out. Sorry, Trevor. You know, UCLA, my baby Bruins. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? The baby blue Bruins for you. Um, that's off. the that's the color of uh, your new baby's uh bedroom, right? The nursery. It's it's powder blue. Powder blue and <laughs> better not be. <laughs> Um, but you know, you have Colorado who just got mowed over by Oregon and I still think that they take care of business against Cal. So it's hard for me to, you know, say that like, yeah, they're middle. I think that they're lower in the PAC 12, but I definitely think that Washington came out making a statement. I'm looking at Cal's schedule for the rest of the year. Uh, are they crying weeks like five through nine? Yeah, they have, they have probably two and a half more wins on their schedule. They have Arizona state next week, which (laughs) took UCLA to the brink or USC to the brink. Then they have Oregon state, Utah, USC, Oregon, Washington state. And then they have Stanford and UCLA. So 
I'd say I'd put the over under at two and a half wins. That might be a little high, maybe one and a half. So they're definitely not going to make a bowl game barring just an act of God. <laughs> I think some of that is also the fact that they're going to go through a gauntlet of playing five ranked teams in a row. Yeah, five ranked teams in a row. So they're probably average in another conference, but unfortunately this year this conference is just so top heavy with really good teams right now for you know 40% of the top 10 in the AP poll is Pac-12 teams led by your Washington Huskies. Trevor, do you have a sound effect for my mini tangents yet? Cuz I need you to cue it here. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Thanks, Leah. Um, but are you after watching, you know, and seeing that Pac-12 four teams in the top 10, how well they're doing, how exciting this season has been so far, how well teams are putting out on the field, being the, you know, leading conference and not losing yet in the first couple weeks. Does that make you a little bit sad on this conference ending and all the traditions and how well they truly can be? Are you still full, like full blown, like to the big 10, we go not even sad a little, little bit. It's both. And, uh, I'm really disappointed that the ineptitude of this conference for so long to put multiple teams up as, you know, national contenders, but at the same time, the leadership was so bad. Like, of course I'm sad about leaving. I know, I don't want to know Iowa, like I know Arizona or, you know, those ancillary teams that nobody around the country knows, but you know, cause you play them so often you know their rosters, you know their style, you know the guys that make up that program. We're going to have to learn a whole bunch of new pro just a whole bunch of new programs and that sucks because there's a lot of history in this. But at the same time I'm very excited to be going to a place where football is going to be paramount. The university is going to be set up to be whatever college football looks like Washington will be right in the mix and we have the perfect person at the head right now to go into this unknown and really be a immediately a top half program in that conference. Because you look at that conference, you know, the, the programs, you know, are good, but man, the bottom, I put the PAC 12 against the bottom of that conference. No problem. They're more fun to watch. I, I mean, be, Michigan beating, no, who was it? Who beat? Uh, no, it was Penn state, Penn state beating Iowa 31 to nothing is like us beating Oregon 70 to 21. I mean, they don't offense. So I guess in that sense, I'm also kind of sad, but I want to be in the big boy conference. Leah, I just rambled. You go ahead. Oh, you're Hold fine. On. Before Leah starts, Trevor, are you going to pick a new UCLA? Are you going to have a new baby? Uh, in the, no, in the they're big coming 10. with me. They're coming no, with me. in the big me. 10. Yeah, they're coming with me. Okay. They're going to they're gonna come with you? I like it. Uh-huh. Okay, Leah, same to you. The question is, Basically, am I sad to leave the Pac-12 or am I Pac-12 or am I excited to go to the Big Ten? Pretty Can much, I... just because we see the potential, and now that like the Pac-12 is finally getting a little bit of respect, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit kind of borrowing Trevor's point. It's it's an improv. It's yes and. Um, you know, we don't deal in football in however what what we deal with in as we hope they should be. We deal with things as they are. And as they are is that as USC goes, so too goes the conference. And if USC is having a bad year or 
they're a game better than everybody else, then everybody else is trash. And joining a conference where USC is going to be one of about three or four blue bloods, and it's not going to completely hinge on USC whether or not we're Washington is respected because That's of who they're good point. So I really think that the opportunity to play in a conference that not only values their academics, but um, also values athletics and particularly football or football and the success of that sport is really king for the athletic department. I'm really proud to be in this conference moving forward. And I'm really impressed and proud of our university president and our head football coach for spearheading this move because it shows that we're serious about this sport. We're serious about forward momentum and competing um, on the biggest stage and competing for national championships. You can't do that if you're in a greater five school. You can't do that unless you're playing in these big marquee matchups over and over and over again. And right now, whether or not we choose to admit it, the Pac-12 is the laughingstock due in large part to our previous commissioner and potentially the, the commissioner before him. And the university presidents allowing this terribly poor management of a storied conference that deserves a lot more respect than it's getting. It's finally getting it right now. Darn right it's getting it because it's so deserved, but it is an absolute shame that it took this to be taken seriously. One final one. It's just a yes or no super quick question, mm -hmm. Trevor, and then Leah first or Leah, then Trevor. I don't really care. But if the Pac-12 doesn't have these after dark kickoffs where they're kicking off at 1030 at night on the East Coast, does the Pac-12 disintegrate? Yeah, I don't think it actually matters because if you're playing Washington against Arizona State and Washington is eight and two and Arizona State is two and eight. It doesn't matter because if Washington's eight and two, but they're not USC and USC is five and four, then the conference is bad, which is incorrect, but that's the perceived reality. Trevor. Well, and we just saw a, a, a 7 PM kickoff, Colorado, Colorado state, everybody watched. So if the product is good, people will watch it. If it's on a network that they can see the PAC 12 network is one of the biggest issues with with the whole, you know, Larry Scott disaster, not being on where people can see it was a big mistake. But also it's what you're saying. If if the matchups aren't good, people aren't going to stay up to watch it. If the matchups are good, they'll stay up to watch it. Like or if, if you hire a former NFL player to be the head coach, people watch it. Exactly. <laughs> That's the whole point of like if a tree falls in the woods and no one was there to see it, did it happen? That's the Pac-12 right now. Yeah, if Christian McCaffrey was the best player in college football, was he actually if nobody got to see him? Right. We know the answer to that question. Andrew Luck as well. Stanford mm -hmm. should be pissed. The one school maybe that has ha has probably been victimized the most in terms of player recognition. Those are probably two. Did, did Andrew Luck win the Heisman? He did not. No, neither time. Neither he came in second twice. And, and McCaffrey did not. No. And so who's to blame for that? It can't be Stanford. I mean, Stanford a little bit, but a lot of it is the Pac-12. You're 100% correct. And, and the reason and that Mariota won is because Oregon prioritized being on national TV. You're 100% correct. Stanford did not when they had Andrew Luck. And that part is Stanford, but it's also the part of Larry Scott who did not recognize this is a generational talent. I need to showcase him. And he did not do that. Yeah, and instead, Robert the Griffin, Robert Griffin III, who's not only was he a fantastic college player, he's also, I mean, the the personality has been there since he was Absolutely. in college. Yeah, he Luck has a great personality as well, but sure does. 
they just can't you, you can't win if you're playing at 7:30 on a network that nobody sees and all people are reading is the recap. That being said, everyone can make a difference and make sure Michael's Penix name stays out there. Even throw a rum in there. Doesn't matter. You're 100% correct. We now have social media where we can help control that narrative a little bit. So and keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep hyping him up. Even on interceptions. Doesn't matter. Good. Let's keep talk about your highlights. Speaking of that, let's talk yes. about your highlights. I always come back around. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I, you know, Rose, Rose obviously is going to Michael Penix. He was fantastic. Uh, 76% passing. Fantastic job. I said fantastic three times now in a row. Three, 300 yards. Uh, how many touchdowns did he end Trevor up? needs a thesaurus. Yeah. His GoFundMe can be reached at. <laughs> <laughs> like synonyms for, for fantastic. He, w- he had an electric day uh, with four, four touchdowns. <laughs> so let's move on to running backs. What do you guys think of Dylan Johnson? Oh, did you guys want to talk about uh, Michael Penix? I know I just took over. I wanted to get like go around the room and, and decide who we're going to give our roses to. I thought we were going to position group. Oh, well, I was just going to go in general. Okay, offense. Offense. Uh, as much as I like Mike, I can give it this rose to Mike every single day. But I feel like one of the things that we talk about all the time is how great our wide receiving room is. And the person who is by and large known as wide receiver three had himself a freaking day last night and Jalen Polk excuse me sir do you have super glue on your paws oh my god that first catch that first touchdown how how dare you like it is absolutely mind-blowing that guy so my rose I'm going to give a bouquet of roses to Jalen Polk because I feel like he's extremely underrecognized he is a wide receiver running sorry wide receiver one in any other room in the country 100 so have have a freaking day and that that said Rome was amazing too, but I just feel like Jalen, I'm, I'm just, I'm hats off. That was mine. That was <laughs> definitely mine. I'll, I'll like be like mean girls where you snap the plastic crown in half and you give half to Jalen <laughs> and half to Rome because it's hard to take away the momentum as Lee and I had said that that's where the momentum shifted and Cal looked defeated was Rome's, you know, run back. So you have to give him some credit there. You average 25 yards a catch like excuse me how dare you yeah i mean his completion percentage is 100 percent. he did not drop anything that was his way and so it's hard to not give him credit at all and give him a rose but i was on board with Jalen. if i thought for surely you're gonna say rome and so i was gonna be like oh jalen you know but here we are I have a history and Jake can attest to this of sounding like I'm winding up to say one thing and then stealing it at the end. And Jake <laughs> just like oh, throws himself down. Like I was yeah, I'm, now, I'm now on that train. <laughs> Ramadunze is second in the NCAA with 544 receiving yards. Jalen Polk is 13th. And Jalen McMillan is 41st missing an entire game. So yeah. This receiving core is insane. So to to put that to for Jalen Polk to have gotten into the top ten, he would have had to get. He's at three eleven. Yeah, he wouldn't have been able to do that, but he could have gotten into the top fifteen with a hundred yards. That's also to say that Roman Jalen Polk don't have a full four games. 
No, you're absolutely right. You know, like, so take Rome being second with that little grain of salt there. Um, That's a good point. Hey, are you guys, like, contacting the athletic director trying to get your money back for the fourth quarters? Yeah, right. We should. Um, But also, Rome, like, you have to give him a little bit of a rose there for making Husky history as the first ever Husky in program history to have 100 yards in four straight games. Like, not even John Ross did that. Not even Dante Pettis did that. Mario Bailey, I love you. You didn't even do that. So, I mean, it's hard to not also want to give him a rose either. Which is funny because one of those catches down the field, it was very John Ross-esque where he caught it between like five bears. Yeah. And got some yards after the catch before they could bring him down. I mean, just unbelievable. Um, I was going to also shout out Jack Westover because – Due to his monster game at Michigan State, they had to cover him, which made Jalen and Rome even more open. Yeah. yeah. Mine goes to the offensive line. The run game is real. The offensive line, <laughs> you guys didn't see it because you were at the game. There's some <laughs> insane stat where it's Drake, uh, Drake May, Caleb Williams, and Michael Penix. And they all are pretty, uh, Michael Penix and uh, Caleb Williams are very similar into how many dropbacks they've had the last two years or year and plus it's around 600 mid 600s Drake Mays up towards the 800s the amount of sacks that Drake May had it was something like 66 uh, Caleb Williams had 44 sacks and Michael Penix had six like the amount of dominance shown by this offensive line losing the guys in the middle having a starter go down and a reserve go down still continuing to dominate the passing game and now finding holes for these running backs the question about does Washington have a running game has been answered the offensive line is them they're the best defensively Kayla who do you got Eddie I have to I mean he's a big boy and he made it 40 plus yards down the field for a touchdown Mm. and knowing what he's been through the last few seasons with injuries he's a walk-on from Alaska Mm -hmm. and I think it was great to finally see him kind of I feel like he can be overshadowed by ZTF a little bit um same with Braylon Trice and I just feel like Eddie not only shifted right away this game but he deserves it for sure I had uh, Cameron Fabikilanen he took a week off to recover from a minor injury and came back with a vengeance and the aforementioned windmill tackle was absolutely a thing of beauty that made everyone in the crowd go so as much as I I agree with um with Kayla that Eddie was probably the defensive player of the game, but the play in terms of pure defense was Camp Ab. I'm gonna go Carson Bruner, and that's hard for me to say because I thought the defensive line played so well, but I give it to Carson Bruner because the linebacking core I thought was the best unit for the entirety of the game. They tackled super well. The defensive line did their job in gumming it up and they made plays. Carson Bruner gifted Dominic Hampton interception. He was in Finley's face. Finley was trying to throw it out of bounds off his back foot and wasn't able to get enough on it. And Hampton was able to just 
run over and pick a duck out of the air. It was fantastic. Uh, they are so aggressive. They are covering sideline to sideline so well. And, you know, going into a game against Arizona where Jing Delora is kind of Jacqueline Hyde on himself, they're going to focus on that game, but I'm going to focus on Oregon and Oregon runs the ball really well. And if you have linebacker play like that, including Alfonso Tupatala, those three had such good games that though that's kind of the matchup that I'm really hoping Washington's able to win. And if they do, they're going to win that game. And they showed some really, really good things on tape uh, yesterday. I thought Boy Tanufi also mm-hmm. had kind of like a little bit of a confidence booster, like one of his best games as well. So I was thinking that same thing watching Oregon play Colorado is I was like, wow, this run defense looks mm-hmm. stellar. So made me a little bit more confident going to Oregon, but ask me week of and now I might tell you something <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I get that. Washington wins nobody above them in the polls lose thanks to Clemson's offensive coordinator just absolutely crapping the bed for at the end of the fourth quarter and in the overtime but even with that they jump up a spot USC falls after beating a a really really bad Arizona State team late Washington sits seventh nothing really moves other than that uh USC obviously falls to eight so it's Georgia one, Michigan two, Texas three, Ohio State four, Florida State five, Penn State six, Washington seven, SC eight, Oregon nine, and Utah ten. Uh, the other Pac-12 schools that are still ranked: Washington State, Leapfrogs, Oregon State, who they beat. They're now in sixteenth, and Oregon State at nineteenth. And my Powder Blues dropped out after losing to Utah. So Leah's Utes actually. Leah's Utes. Leah's Utes. <laughs> Leah's Utes. So. Overall thoughts on the top 10, how we feeling is Washington where they're at. I think I'm really happy with where we're at. I'm a little shocked that USC was penalized for losing. I'm sorry, not losing, but uh, not beating the spread. That is they, they did not cover by 21. They were supposed to win by 35. They won by 14, which is quite a difference. And they struggled to Trevor's point beating Arizona state. At the same time, I feel like the rest of the top 10 is pretty fair. I feel like things are going to shake up this week. I'm not sure that um, that Utah can get a win in Corvallis. I think that's where they're headed this week, Trevor. Um, that's one of their first games away from the Mus. But I think especially it's pretty fair. Rising isn't planned. Yeah, especially because they only scored 14 points this week at mm-hmm. home. I'm just not sure about that. But generally speaking... The Pac-12 is really tough. I like the respect that we're getting. Um, also, it's the interesting factoid about the poll that came out today for the AP is that Washington did receive one first place vote, which right. is the first first place vote that the team has gotten since 1998. Yeah, that's absolutely huge. I think, and I believe Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong, that USC has only covered once this season in four games. So Sounds about right. I'm not surprised that they dropped a little bit just because, I mean, you have a former Heisman winner with Caleb Williams there. Like you should be doing a little bit more than taking care of business. I feel like against an ASU team. Um, But as a whole, I'm sure people are going to hate me for it. But when Oregon is playing a complete game, like Washington was playing yesterday, they're a little bit scary. 
in terms of just being able to shut down that Colorado offense. It's hard to look at Colorado because they went to, you know, the very end with Colorado State. But you also look at them playing against TCU, who is a national championship game last year, and they still took care of business. So yeah, TCU teams kind of a paper tiger, though. That a lot of that's what's hard. Yeah, and then Colorado State. It was a great comeback win, but how good is Colorado State? That's what I'm saying. And so mm-hmm. it's like it's really hard to judge Colorado right now, and right. then in terms of comparing Oregon to them. Yeah, but I, I think you know. Every team, Georgia, I'm sure, would fear Washington that played on Saturday in terms of the defense, the special teams, and the offense missing one of their key players. And so I think that Oregon, if they do play a complete game, they're a little bit scary. So I think that they for sure probably should have jumped USC, in my personal opinion. I was just going to say, I actually disagree. I think that Oregon played pretty well, but I feel like Oregon has played a lot of games at home and the one game they played on the road they played um very close and were very fortunate to cover the spread and even win the game against texas tech who is now one and three so show me something impressive on the road which they have the opportunity to do this this week when they're going at stanford which is really going to be a tough game for them so um oregon you hear the line on that game 27 is it like 35 27, 27. Which I think is probably fair at Stanford, mm-hmm. but um, you know, Stanford, sorry, Oregon is just one of those teams that is always going to look good for the most part at Austin, and I, I expect them to win. I I want them to be undefeated, fat and happy, like a Thanksgiving turkey when they come in <laughs> to Washington, which is going to make carving them up and eating them for dinner really, really delicious. <laughs> it's just crazy to think that. I mean, I am terrified for the last four weeks of our schedule for Washington. It is scary. I mean, you have like USC, you have Utah, you have Oregon state, you have Wazoo, Oregon state, Wazoo are going to play pissed off USC, Utah. They're going to be tough to beat no matter what, but it'll be interesting because USC, when they get a hold of Oregon and Washington, one of them will have one loss. USC is not guaranteed to have a loss. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, which one goes into that game undefeated. That's right. I, I really, I feel like though, the more time I have with Kaylin DeBoer as our coach, the more excited I am for these big games and the less dread and worry that I used to have in previous regimes where it was, it felt like a foregone conclusion that we were probably going to lose. Now I have cautious optimism that if we lose, it's not going to be because of some boneheaded play. It's because we lost to the better team on that night. And I feel just really confident that boneheaded plays and doing something stupid in the moment, knock on wood, is not going to happen. And we're going to have two really good teams on all of those nights. And we're just going to have to play the game. And hopefully that we're going to come out on top. But to your point with Oregon State and Washington State, they're going to play mad and feeling scorned. And when you play that high on emotion, you tend to not rely on your skill. And I, I mean, especially with Washington State, I like Washington. I mean, I know Apple Cup week is crazy and I'm going to change my tune that week, but especially at Husky Stadium, I'm sorry. Good night. Bye, Cougs. I'm just, I cannot get UCLA and where we were a year ago against ASU out of my mind. You know, we never would have thought that losing to an interim head coach. 
And I think that's terrifying. Last year. That was that was year one of this divorce. This team okay. is so much. This team would beat the 2022 team by two scores, at least. This team is is so good offensively. The things that they do in the first half, they haven't had to play in the second half. Mm-hmm. Totally. The I get I'm getting less and less scared the more I see of these teams and the better we continue to play. Is it maybe that we haven't played anybody yet? I there is some of that, but I I don't think so. We went on the road and played really well. We beat a good Mountain West school. We didn't we've haven't there's been no game in question by halftime yet. USC went out against a really terrible Arizona State team and looked really bad defensively. And if you look bad defensively against this Washington team, you're not going to be able to do anything. Then you have Utah who looks pretty good defensively, but does not look good offensively. You know, you're going to, I think a a complete team has to beat this team. And I don't see a team in the conference that's complete enough to be able to stick with them because as good as Oregon's played, you can stack the box and force Bo Nix to beat you. He hasn't really shown that he can do that on a regular basis yet this year. You have to be able to control the run game. I know we're kind of wrapping up, but to kind of go not against that point, because I do agree that a complete team needs to beat this team, but Washington also doesn't do it for themselves either just quite yet. I mean, you look at their third down conversions and they went five for 11 against a Cal team that was not good yesterday. And I think that should be concerning. We already talked about penalties. That should be concerning. You have that many penalties at home, like, whoa. And so I feel like, you know, this team is good enough that there should be more third down conversions. There should be less penalties. So it might not take a full complete team to beat Washington because until Washington can fix that, they're kind of beating themselves as well. I'll, I'll, I will give you the penalties, but I'm, I, I disagree with you on the third down conversions. Cause I'm looking at the charts here and they're just not in third down enough. I look at the drive charts, it's touchdown, field goal, touchdown, interception, which isn't great. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Then the turnover on downs in the third quarter up 52 to 12. So yeah. when the game is in, when the game matters, this team is playing so well. We'll find out at the end of the season, Trevor. Are you the winner or am I? Do they not? Oh, don't do that. I don't... Oh man, I hope I'm right, I guess. I right? mean, I do too. Yeah, okay. I agree with you on the on the penalties though. I know awesome. Leah's got some final words for Arizona. She always leaves me with the best one-liners. Just hoping that we... uh have an easy time in the desert, which would be a first. Awesome. Well, that'll do it. We'll be back to preview Arizona later in the week for Trevor Mueller, UW, Kayla Olin, go dogs. Go dogs. From the 1924 lyrics to finish bow down to Washington, victory is the cry of Washington, leather lungs together with rah, rah, rah. And when we snare the golden bear, you'll never carry it back to California. Go dogs.